when the board members of any company are in a meeting, the CRO is going to come in and the CRO is not going to say, hey, bad news, we didn't hit the quota, but good news, everybody completed their training. The board does not care about completion or how pretty the PowerPoints were or how many trainings were or how many people completed stuff in the LMS or many other things. So if sales enablement is not measured by the same measurement as the sales team, what impact are you really creating on the sales floor? Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Our guest in today's episode is an engineer turned salesperson turned sales coach. When it comes to sales enablement effectiveness, she walks the walk because she works for a Canadian technology vendor that specializes in the measurement of sales enablement's revenue impact. When she's not designing highly effective sales enablement programs, she's teaming up with her best friend to build a business that helps immigrant women. Please welcome Level Jump's Director of Enablement Solutions, Adriana Romero. Adriana, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you so much, Felix. I appreciate it. And I love it because you're coming from the future. That's right. If you didn't know it, that's the number one joke for Australians and business meetings when they speak to Americans that they are calling from the future. So here I am. Please let me know the lottery winning numbers so I can play them as soon as I wake up. <laughs> that's right. Well, we actually had to move this meeting because yesterday your internet connection didn't work. And I totally feel you because we're in lockdown right now in Sydney. And not too long ago, we had a power outage, which meant we didn't have any electricity or internet connections. So <laughs> I guess that's what it felt like last time there was a pandemic. To be honest, last night it was not. I mean, it was bad because we had the podcast recording, but it was already 9 p.m. It was not so bad because it's the end of the day. It's like, okay, let's just go to sleep and it will come. But now that you mentioned the power outage in the middle of the lockdown, I think last year in the fall, we had kind of like a massive power down here in my area. And I remember because there was like a storm and I live in a very remote area. There's nothing and we were in a lockdown. So suddenly my husband, I tell him, why don't you go get some food in a city besides us? Because I'm pretty sure they have electricity because I don't think we're going to be able to cook. And it was almost dinner time. It was like the first time and it's fall. It was almost winter. It goes dark very early. And I think we got electricity by the next morning at seven. There were houses close to us that didn't get electricity for three days. So completely feel <laughs> you. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's in Canada. It's much more serious than it is in Sydney. <laughs> uh, the problem is when you live in the kind of country area and there is a storm that knocks down power lines because I'm in a farmland, right? So it happens here, too. <laughs> that's right. So speaking of Canada, I'm obviously based in Australia, but I'm always keen to hear how sales enablement is developing and what it looks like around the world. So from your perspective in the Canadian market, what's the state of sales enablement in Canada and how does it compare to the rest of the world? I would say it's really on par with maybe our fellow neighbors of the US, maybe even on par with Europe. We have a very big startup environment here in Canada, very big tech startup. And that has brought in a lot of structures in the companies. And with those structures have come sales enablement. 
I have worked for only Canadian companies since I moved to enablement six years ago. So that will give you a little bit of an an understanding of how the market has been for that long. And you see, you see the roles, you see it hit up, you see that there's a lot of people. I actually, I lead the women in sales enablement for Canada, the Canadian chapter. It's basically Toronto and we have a person in Manitoba and a person in Halifax. And we have enough people that we can actually have a chapter here in Canada. I would say, of course, it's concentrated. There's going to be more companies in Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver and some other places in Alberta. But still, there is a lot of enablement happening and there's a lot of great enablement practitioners here. You mentioned that there's a really strong startup culture. So from that perspective, enablement's job would be more about scaling those businesses and preparing for growth, right? A hundred percent. There is also the companies that are bigger, that are already established. When I started in enablement, I was in a big corporation, worldwide company, and we had a very big enablement team. Of course, we had people in different areas of the world in that enablement team. But yes, there's a lot of the team of one enabler in Canada that's starting off, that's kind of getting everything off the ground, and then who is building their team. Just to give you some perspective, my current company and the last two companies, I have been the enabler of one who's building the function, the team, and all that growth for the scale-up. Excellent. In your previous roles, in terms of the reporting line, so did you report into senior management or did you report into the head of sales? In all the roles, especially in the startups, have been to the head of sales. Only in the big global corporation, we reported into sales operations. But so far, all my other roles have been direct into sales. Now, currently, I do report into the CEO, but mainly because of the structure of the company and how we are organized and because we are an enablement company. So it kind of makes sense. But yeah, I would say that I see a lot of fellow enablers in my same position reporting to the head of sales. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's no real data that I've seen around it. But anecdotally, I've heard that there's more and more enablers actually reporting into a senior executive leadership. I guess it would be more the case from a scale-up perspective compared to an established large corporation. But nonetheless, I think there's more and more of a strategic view on sales enablement and senior leadership really understanding the strategic relevance of the go-to-market power that sales and can bring to the table. A hundred percent. You see it not only by the amount of companies that are looking for enablers in this position, but also the importance they give to the role, the ability of getting enablement to have a seat in the table, make decisions, be somebody whose opinion is heard, which is very important. Because they understand that enablement has ears on the floor and that we know what is happening as well. And many of us come from either a sales background in a similar company or you come from a product marketing background in a similar company. So you kind of understand or any other of the go-to-market roles. So people really value kind of that experience when you are sitting in that table. So in your current role, it's quite interesting, actually, because you are a sales enabler in a business that enables sales enablement professionals. So it's kind of... <laughs> it's like a kid working in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That's right. That is basically how it feels. <laughs> Sounds like one of these Russian dolls, you know, where you, you're the sales enabler inside the sales enablement organization and so on. So how do you, just for listeners who aren't familiar with your business and your role, like how do you actually work and what does your day-to-day -day look like and the way you interact with sales enablers? Interesting enough, I have the same challenges any enabler has in any other company selling any other thing. I still have to chase people to do things. I still have to, you know, repeat things many times. 
I still have to create programs that sometimes you're just walking behind people and just like with a lasso, right? I'm kidding. The interesting part of my role working in this company is that I get to not only enable a team, which is pretty interesting, is that I am the person my team is selling to. The persona is actually me. And so it's very interesting because they get to interact with the persona every day and they get to experience this every day. So that is the first part. And then I have a great opportunity to do what I love, which is interacting with other enablers, being part of the communities, speaking with them, having webinar presentations, which for me is maybe like how people feel when they're a professor and they can be in their field and they can teach people, but they can still do some investigation and research. I feel that same way. And I still have the street experience because I'm still doing the job every day, right? It's not like I'm not doing it. That's awesome. And considering that you're the persona that sales are selling to, you must be very popular in the organization then. Well, I am. They ask me a lot of questions. So my Slack is usually pretty hot all day. And also it's interesting because sometimes they forget that they can ask those questions to me. It's like when you're selling a financial product and you forget that you have a CFO in the company and that you can actually go to the CFO and ask them that question. One thing that I learned selling anything, and this was selling different technology years ago, is I would tell my salespeople, every persona that you're selling to, there's somebody like that in this company. It's either the head of product, the head of finance, the head of legal, the CEO, the head of sales, the head of marketing. You have that person in the company. Have you gotten and asked? So one of the, my favorite enablement or maybe sessions that I did was bringing that subject matter expert and actually telling them to showcase what were the best outreach that they had from other salespeople? What were things that interested them? What were things that annoyed them? What were things that piqued their curiosity? And people would really understand. And I would actually ask them to share if there is emails or phone calls that you find, oh, this was very interesting. We buy it or not. I just want it as a feedback for the team of how they should approach the persona. So I would say that that's important for everybody because you're selling something to somebody in your company. That's awesome. That's really great advice. I think a lot of organizations, especially larger ones, miss that opportunity because there's still so many silos and whoever owns sales enablement or anybody working in sales enablement should have those connections internally, I guess. So I think it's a very missed opportunity to not include those people. So I think that's really awesome advice. Now, you report into senior leadership in your business. From your perspective, so anybody listening who might be in a senior leadership position and wants to introduce sales enablement in their organization, what is your, really your tip to make it a high-impact initiative and really make it work? The most important part is for this senior leader to give the importance of this person from the first day. Make sure that this person not only is seated in every meeting that is important, but they have a voice and that voice is heard. And I think that creates a lot of importance because not everybody's going to see enablement like that strategic partner for the go-to-market team. So if you have that champion that actually says, no, 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 this opinion is important or this advice that enablement gave me is important, we're going to take it into consideration, you start building that credibility, right? And that is what a senior leader should do from day one. So it's really important to gain that support. Yes. And from a sales enablers perspective, so let's say you're a fairly senior sales enablement person and you get hired reporting into senior management. What are some of the ways or some of the communication channels you can establish to really 
make sure that your role stays relevant strategically for that senior leader? So it's very important that you have weekly one-on-ones with your senior leader, especially if you report to this person. Those one-on-ones should have the same structure as if you are a sales manager, but you are a sales enabler. One of the things I saw very successful is that if my VP or my CRO were having meetings with their director levels, they would have the same meetings with me. The same thing goes to being involved in each one of the strategic sales meetings that occur in the sales floor. And the other one is if you feel that you're not involved, don't stay quiet in a corner and think why they're not involving you. Make sure you raise your hand and you say, I would like to be involved in this because I think this is important. And most likely it will be. So if there's meetings with product marketing, if there's meetings that happen with finance, if there's meetings that happen with marketing, and you feel that you're not being involved, but there's a task that is happening there that's being assigned to your team or to yourself, you should have been involved in that decision-making process. That's super important. It might be an overkill because you might feel that you're getting involved in many things, but especially at the beginning of the role, it is better if you do. And those relationships always come in handy long-term anyway, right? Yes. So I guess it would be an investment into your future of the company. A hundred percent. I think that enablement should have relationships with everybody in the company, especially with either head of departments or people that are like coming right after or no matter the level. You need to understand what's happening because there is a part of the company that needs to be involved with sales at any given point. And that is very important that kind of like you have that reach, that you have that connection. And that can be people that maybe they're not going to talk with sales all the time. But I'm pretty sure when finance has to get involved with a big deal that has some heavy discounting or some terms or legal is getting involved with some, you know, red lines, they're going to remember. So These are some of the things that are important to know and to understand and to build relationships. What should the team know? How do we remain compliant? Like anything that you should know from each one of your departments, have those relationships, make them count, and you never know when you're going to need them further in your career. When it comes to small organizations that might want to enable their sales team better, but don't have the resources or not yet the senior executive buy-in to actually make sales enablement happen. What would be your tips for some quick wins that they can achieve through a manager or through several resources if they want to enable their sales team better? I would say onboarding is always going to be the biggest win. Making sure that there is some sort of an onboarding plan. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be something that's very long or very detailed, but there should be an onboarding path for the newcomers and also a path for the managers to understand what success means for their teams and how can they continually reinforce knowledge with their teams week by week. And I would say the most important one is to make sure that the managers are coaching and they're coaching beyond that one-on-one meeting. Because typically the one-on-one meeting is, how's the pipeline? How's it doing? What are the numbers? making that meeting more meaningful and creating opportunities for the manager to do more coaching for the group, for people who need it, even for people that you believe they don't. Because one of the problems that managers have, and I know I'm going through a tangent, is that they don't coach typically the top performers because they say they're doing fine. And all they ask them is about the numbers, but the top performer is the one that needs the most coaching, maybe in other areas, maybe in their growth. So if a coaching culture and the onboarding is there, those two seeds are super important to have because it will make the structure of enablement become 
easier to grasp from the team. And also it will be easier for the enabler to build from that and not spend so much time trying to create things like a coaching culture that will take longer if there's not the seed already. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how to tackle like a more coaching focused approach, how would you recommend that to be done? Is that just a question of ad hoc providing that coaching input or is there a more structured way that people can follow? So I always recommend to do as structured as possible. If the company has playbooks, methodologies, if you have adopted a way of working, it doesn't have to be sophisticated. I tell people, look, you don't have to have the most sophisticated methodology in the world. You don't have to have playbooks that are going to help you win over the moon. It's how is your selling motion? How do you go and sell? How do you objection handle? How do you create top of funnel? How do you create the middle of the funnel? How do you close? Take all those things, create the structure of how your selling motion works, and then coach to them. Coach to how to interact with the persona. Coach to how to objection handle. And be consistent about it. Be consistent about every week or every month there's going to be a topic. And we're always going to do something as a group, as an individual. And don't do it because, oh, it's the end of the quarter and I'm going to coach everybody because we need to close more deals. Consistency and showing your sellers that not only you're a coach that is consistent, but that they need to do their part consistently is going to make them win. And I think that right now we have a great example. The Olympics are on and we see these amazing athletes generate new records and generate all these new things and stunts on the floor and new timings. And you think this is not because this person was good in that moment. It is because of all the times and the days when they didn't feel like it, when they didn't want to do it, when the sky was gray, when they were in a good mood. But every day they were consistent. And what the coach was doing, too, was telling them what are the things that you need to focus on and what not to focus on. That consistency, if we put it in a very simplistic way, is very simple. So sometimes people get very caught on And this is what happens with managers that they don't coach is they're caught on and I don't know, because I don't know, I'm not going to do it. And it becomes overwhelming. If somebody just takes the time to simplify it and kind of like take an Excel sheet, this is their process. This is what we should be doing. And this is what I'm doing week over week. You will see improvements. Hmm. That's awesome advice. There's no need to overcomplicate it. No. If you just stick with the basics, you can already cover a lot of ground. Oh, 100%. You can complicate that after. But if you don't have the basics, how are you going to get it better? How are you going to build something from that? Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to measurement in the SaaS enablement context, what would you say are the success metrics that you should focus on? And how can businesses and sales enablement leaders really make sure that you create that impact on sales performance that you're after? I am going to use an anecdote for answering this question. When the board members of any company are in a meeting, the CRO is going to come in and the CRO is not going to say, hey, bad news, we didn't hit the quota, but good news, everybody completed their training. The board does not care about completion or how pretty the PowerPoints were or how many trainings were or how many people completed stuff in the LMS or many other things. So if sales enablement is not measured by the same measurement as the sales team, and that means maybe simple sales velocity equation of pipeline and win rate and size of deals and funnel generation and onboarding. If you're not measured like that, 
what impact are you really creating on the sales floor? So sales enablers typically run away from those measurements because it's difficult, but you shouldn't run away. And yes, I'm not saying that enablers are going to be the ones that, yes, of course, we're the ones who increased 5% the win rate this quarter. It's not only enablement, but there is enablement that was done there. So granular and get the tools that are going to allow you. And when I say tools, I say the mechanisms in the design of how you have your process and your enablement playbook and all the things that you do that you can say, just like marketing does, I'm going to attribute that they hit this because we did this training, this coaching session, and this. And in a way that impacted that number. Because we all know it's not perfect. It's like saying that marketing brought all the MQLs, but you know how it is. Somebody saw the website, but somebody called in and it's a whole mesh sometimes in there. Happens the same with enablement, but you have not to be afraid of the hard numbers from the sales floor. Yeah, absolutely. I love that because silos in the measurement and incentives create silos in the real world. And I think that's where alignment often falls over if you you know, marketing only focuses on MQLs, no matter what happens after that on the sales side, sales enablement focuses only on training completions or whatever. I think if you start thinking that way, you don't really ship the needle. And I totally agree. It becomes most effective when you focus on the outcome generated by sales and how you impact that and how you support that. A hundred percent, Felix. And in 2022, after the year we had and after how exponentially Enablement became much more, I would say, front row of go-to-market teams and how I think in the last year and a half, enablement as a function grew what we thought it was going to grow in five years. If enablers think that by the next SKO, their sales leaders are not going to start to question, but what are you really bringing to the table as value? They're wrong. Like People are going to start asking that if they're not asking it already. So it is important that people start to become comfortable with what am I really or what is my team really adding as value to that number at the end? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the change will happen really quickly once you actually see organizations operating that way and the kind of difference that it makes. You can already see anecdotally by the amount of sales enablement that is now being practiced by organizations. I think now, according to the latest sales enablement collective research, it's like something like 74% of organizations having sales enablement functions, programs, or initiatives. And once these actually are implemented and you see the needle being shifted by those additional metrics, I think a lot of change will happen on that front. A hundred percent. Oh, yes. I think that also the type of enablers that are coming along, they report into revenue leaders. The fact that you are in scale-up companies that need to move fast and they need to see results from everybody who's in the company it will definitely change how enablement has been measured historically. Now let's talk about how sales enablement has evolved over time, because as you said, it's such a fast evolving space and a really fast growing space. If you would have asked most people five years ago, sales enablement was there, but it was kind of operating in the shadows, I suppose. It's so much more in the spotlight now. How would you say it has evolved in recent years? And what are some of the things you see going wrong with sales enablement? I would say the evolution has been very dramatic in the last year and a half, just to see the reality of how many enablement jobs are out there compared to January or March of 2020 and the amount of roles that you see out there right now tells you the importance that enablement has gathered in these companies. Now, what is wrong with enablement? I would say maybe it's a couple of things. One, 
continue to be measured by any type of consumption or vanity metrics, as I call them. Or also, second, to think that enablement is just an extension or the same thing as product marketing. I would say that those are things that are completely misunderstood or that are an extension of learning and development or training. So I think it's very important that people make that difference known. That's the role of the enabler. We're trailblazing inside of our own organizations, but it's also in the heads of each one of these leaders and executives that are hiring enablers to understand what is the difference and make sure that we pave the way. I think I don't remember four years ago or five years ago seeing VPs of enablement to be that common. And now suddenly you're seeing a lot of VPs of enablement. And I ask myself, who's going to be the first chief enablement officer? Are we going to have that? Are we going to be able to branch out from ops or from product marketing in different companies? And I think that is the labor of how strategic we position ourselves within the go-to-market teams in our organizations. No sales enablement is becoming more and more common. That obviously means that there's more and more people pushing into that space and there's more sales enablement roles being created, which might in some cases lead to a talent shortage of people who are really experienced in that space. So how do you make sure, like from a sales enablement community perspective, and some of the listeners might not know that, but there's loads of forums out there and sales enablement communities that share knowledge and empower each other. But how do we make sure from a sales enablement community perspective that we do not sacrifice quality with the growth of sales enablement as a function? I think that the most important thing is, as you said, there's a lot and not a lot of communities. I think I'm a member of all the communities that are out there. We have communities that are based on Slack. We have communities that are based on their own space. We have different communities. There's the communities that have been established. There's not many, and each one of them are creating their own differences with how they're interacting and how they're providing value to us enablers. I think it's very important to understand that, A, we can empower people that were not enablers to come and join us being enablers. I think it's very important for us enablers to see the potential in somebody that maybe wants to come into enablement, spend two, three years in their career in enablement, and then go to a sales manager or some other management position. But having enablement within their skill set is going to be very important for them when they go and manage teams. I think that not trying to compete within each one of these communities is also going to be very important because they all provide value in different ways and the levels of interactions are completely different. And to keep respectful, to keep collaborative, I think that all of us in enablement share a DNA, which means that we all like to help and collaborate with each other because that's the way that we do it every day. That's kind of our motto. Like We're kind of like that person who's always going to help the team no matter what, right? And I think that happens with the community as well. So I think that that is super important and to mentor and help the people that are coming behind. If you know of a SDR and an AE or somebody from marketing or somebody from learning and development from recruitment and say, I want to be an enablement. What can I do? Give them everything that you can because there's no course out there to certify you as an enabler. It's life experience, right? Like we all did. Yes, now there's some courses and there's some certifications that some people are throwing out of there, but there's still no pathway to say the professional college of enablers, this is what you should do to become an enabler. So I think that it's in each one of us to really mentor and help people who want to come into the profession. I love that. 
Yeah, I can only confirm that that's kind of the spirit that comes with the South Neighborhood space. Just like we haven't known each other for a long time before we have this interview, you know, and a hundred percent. There's already like so much conversation happening with people that I haven't known for such a long time. There's such a readiness to help each other. I think in a lot of cases, if we talk about people that don't work in dedicated South Neighborhood roles, but want to learn and want to use that skill set as part of their professional journey. I think a lot of times it's more of an adjustment in the mindset that needs to happen. A hundred percent. Rather than actually acquiring skills, because once that mindset changes in terms of understanding of what really shifts the needle for the business or business acumen and the empathy that is needed to really help people in a really effective way, I think that already takes you really far when it comes to sales enablement skills. Oh, yeah. Of course, there's technical knowledge, but as a lot of people say, you need the attitude first and anything skill related can be acquired afterwards. Oh, the will over the skill, 100%. I'm big on that as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. In terms of you being quite embedded in the sales enablement space, what are some of the resources you would recommend for people starting out in enablement or wanting to add that to their skill set? Which resources did you find really useful and can you recommend to newcomers? I would say there's a few. There's the communities. I would recommend anybody who's starting off to join the four communities that are out there. Those are Sales Enablement Society as the, I call it the Ivy League of the enablement community. It is the oldest one and the one that's the most set and that everybody is part of the Sales Enablement Society and a lot of things are happening there. There's trust enablement that we are a part of, Felix, and we really like, and there's a lot of people in there that we trust and that are so knowledgeable and they're sharing so many things. That community is amazing. There's a sales enablement squad that's a little bit more informal. It's a Slack group where you can just throw a question. I find it very millennial or Gen Z or young. And I like it because it's very easy and you can just post a question. It's like having a group of friends, having coffee with you all the time. And there's, of course, the Sales Enablement Collective, which is another very well-established community, also has a Slack channel and also has a lot of resources and knowledge and events that happen. Those would be like the four communities I would recommend anybody to join. And then, of course, it is follow people. Join this community, start following people, have virtual coffees, learn from them. There's a lot of material posted. There are books out there. There's a few. I think now there are more. I particularly like the book from Melissa Madian that's called Enabler, I Hardly Know Her. Because she talks from her experience of how she became an enabler and how she kind of takes it. It's very thin, but it's very easy to read. There's, of course, the sales enablement book from Tamara. Shank. Yeah. And that's the first enablement book I ever read. I find it great. It's very theoretical. So if you don't come from a learning and development background, it might take you a little bit to digest it, but it's a very important book. And I would say even read books that might not be enablement. Maybe read books that are about creating habits, creating positive or creating different types of mindset. Mindset from Carl Dweck is one of the most important ones that I think I've read in my enablement career. There is Grit from Angela Duckworth that I think is impressive. And of course, just get to know people and get your hands dirty. I'm a very big believer in getting some action in and learning by doing. So if you're looking to do it, shadow somebody, offer your help. If there's an enablement department in your company and they say, we need people to help with onboarding, go in and help. If you can facilitate some sessions, go in and facilitate. I would say that's some of the best ways to learn. 
Awesome. Adriana, on that note, thank you so much for joining the conversation. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And I hope the internet stays on for you for a while now. I hope so. I am going to bed after this podcast because it is a quarter to 11 p.m. here in Toronto. So you're fresh. You're starting your day. I am ready to cuddle in bed and just have my beauty sleep. <laughs> That's right. Passing on the torch. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you very much, Felix. It was a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.